Before we jump into today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences that we personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So let's get comfy and talk about death. Hello and welcome to Mort Mike, a down-to-earth discussion on death and dying. I'm Brandy. And I'm Red. And we're your anguish affirmators this week. We're all going to be confronted with death in our lives, in many ways, shapes, and forms. It spans the gamut from losing your first pet goldfish to a beloved family member. But it goes even farther than that. Have you ever had grief over someone or something? that you didn't receive support for? This special type of grief is what we're exploring in today's episode. Before we continue, I'm issuing a sensitive topic disclaimer. It's too hard to list all what's covered in this episode, so if you're worried your trigger is on this list, it might be. So one of my favorite things to do in an educational episode like this, if you guys can't see a pattern emerging yet, uh, is to define something that we're going to talk about. So before I explain what it is, have you ever heard of the term disenfranchised grief before Brandy? I had not before you said it, but when you did say it, it made sense in my brain, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Especially if you've heard the term disenfranchised before, uh, especially in regards mm-hmm. to like certain communities or whatever. Like it's it's very applicable in uh, in similar fashion. Absolutely, and I could find some times in my life where I had felt those feelings, and I connected with that with that term. A lot of our listeners are probably going to feel a very similar way. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll they'll find a lot that is applicable to them as we uh, discuss through what exactly disenfranchised grief is. And easy enough to start, we'll start with the word disenfranchised for those that might not be familiar with it. So the textbook definition is to be deprived of a right or privileged. That is what disenfranchised means. And there's a few varying and vague definitions of disenfranchised grief. So when you slap the two words together, the best one that I found to encompass its meaning is that disenfranchised grief is a grief that is felt that is not openly acknowledged, socially validated, or publicly mourned. Uh, So like a loss that society fails the griever in allowing them to recognize their right to grieve. So... This is definitely a type of grief that many, if not all of us, will have experienced in our past or will experience in the future. Just to kind of give you some examples uh, to show how encompassing this category actually is. It could be grief over the loss of an ex-partner or a pet, a hospice nurse or healthcare worker grieving over losing a patient, grief from miscarriages or abortions, death of prominent celebrities or public figures, having lost a loved one to like a certain cause of death. So something like suicide, drug overdose, smoking, driving drunk, losing someone who would be viewed as quote unquote, having a full life 
the death of an abuser, the death of an LGBTQ partner or a member of a polyamorous relationship. It's a huge list and that's just scratching the surface of it because this type of grief actually extends outside of just death. It's not just for death. It goes for any type of grief that someone would experience. So uh, things like losing a limb to amputation, the loss of mobility due to age or an accident, seeing a loved one lose cognitive function and personality during various types of dementias, losing a job, dealing with a loved one being incarcerated, breakups or divorces, infertility, missing out on major life events due to COVID. I mean, this is, there's so, so many things that disenfranchised grief is for a lot of different people. It doesn't just come about because someone passed away. It can be due to any kind of feeling of loss. These are just some common examples that I could come up with, but there's going to be as many different scenarios as there are people that can grieve in the world, which is, boy, howdy, it's a lot. (laughs) So now that you have a better idea of what disenfranchised grief is, can you think of a time that maybe you've experienced it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I can tell a very quick story. Sure. Um, I lost my cousin two years ago. I've talked about him actually on the podcast before. He was a possible organ donor and he lived uh, 10 years after he was hit by a train his freshman year of high school. And it was a triumph that he lived and he got really, really far in his recovery. Mm -hmm. But there was a part of me that grieved the person that he was before that we had been incredibly close mm. and grew up together, went to the same high school, middle school together. We were only a year apart from each other. And his twin sister was my best friend. And we were all so wrapped up in trying to get him better that it, it didn't ever feel like we grieved who he was before mm-hmm. because we were just like, nope, this is the new normal. This is how it is. And we're just focused on getting him better. And we absolutely were. And he did. He got a lot better. But, you know, I still missed who he was. And so that this definitely sticks with me. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I imagine that was also kind of tough having his twin sister around, too, as like kind of a memory of that time before as well. I mean, there's tons of memories, obviously, with him being around, too. And every time you see him, it's just like, oh, man, I remember that time we did mm-hmm. this together, spent this time together. And it's something that you can't go back to. We played zombies all the time. That was like <laughs> his game. And we ran around and he was a zombie and he chased us for blocks and blocks if he had to. And I I missed it. I wish that we had had more years to do that. But yeah. I love him and I will always remember him. And I've had the opportunity to grieve him now. So Yeah, that's tough having to grieve somebody in, in multiple different ways, not yeah. just them passing away. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. I have uh, my own story. I lost my first like young friend, like somebody that doesn't die in a natural, quote unquote, natural way. Uh, It was about a year ago, a friend of mine had gotten shot. Um, I had just went to visit him maybe 
like two weeks prior or something like that. And then all of a sudden I start seeing a bunch of stuff pop up on Facebook. Like, Oh, this person, this person passed, this person passed like funeral for this. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 what do you mean? Like he had gotten shot by somebody that he had introduced to me at a party uh, when I was there. And it, it wasn't somebody that I had, I had known super well. It's a person I met at like <laughs> post-apocalyptic convention. <laughs> That's awesome. And we hung out a few times, you know, and like we'd see each other on Facebook and like message everyone now and again just to check in on each other. So we weren't like super close. But after after everything that happened, I, I found myself grieving and I didn't I, I was putting the disenfranchised grief on myself because like, I didn't feel like I should have had the feelings that I had because, oh, this is just this is just a person you've ever seen in, in face to face three or four times and you just talk online sometimes you don't you're not his family like you shouldn't be as sad as you are you know and I just felt I just felt weird like I shouldn't be feeling that way like what I was feeling wasn't correct for my level of connection to the person so I, I did it to myself <laughs> wow I remember it got really bad when I was uh I was still working a funeral. You know, I was working funerals while this all was happening and I started crying during somebody else's funeral, not for them, but like for, for my friend. Wow. It was weird. <laughs> so yeah, disenfranchised grief happens to all of us in, in interesting ways, I suppose. And that's so that's so much to be sitting right there in front of a funeral after somebody has passed away like that. And you're imagining, mm. like, their funeral and all those things. I remember there was a funeral for somebody who had passed away by suicide. Mm. And I was working it. And the family hadn't told the grandfather or somebody, like, what had actually mm. happened. And I felt like that was kind of a form of disenfranchised grief because he never got the opportunity to really know what happened. Oh, for sure. Because most people, I feel, when information like that's withheld, if someone's to find out, they're going to be so much more hurt and their grief journey is going to be so screwed up because of it, because they're not being allowed to grieve the whole thing. You can ask anybody, like, They'd rather take the hard truth anytime than just have something hidden from them or be lied to. Pretty much anybody just wants to know the truth and to deny somebody of that because you're trying to soften the blow. That that's not that's not helping anybody. It really isn't. Yeah, and through all this, I can see how much more common disenfranchised grief really is in our society. Like I was thinking, really big picture on it. Mm-hmm. And even the most, like, minuscule things, like just sitting there at somebody else's funeral and thinking about your childhood friend who passed away, that's that's a lot to carry. Yeah, for sure. And the the tough part about it is, like, some people might think, oh, it's, it's just grief, you know, can't you work through it the same as the quote-unquote regular grief? And it's not necessarily an unfair point to make, but there's a lot more hurdles that get in the way of somebody that's trudging through disenfranchised grief. So like, uh, like for example, so when a parent passes away, uh, your friends and your family, they'll gather around you physically and emotionally to become like that, that social safety net. And they give you support. They give you a shoulder to cry on. They'll uh, go out of their way to cook your meals when you don't have the strength to care for your own needs and help you do chores that are too hard to keep up with during such a difficult time. 
most everybody is going to lose a parent. It's something we all expect as a society, and it's understood unequivocally. But many people have felt the same loss or empathetically know how to put themselves in your shoes for um, like a loss like that, for grief like that. But the big problem is when it comes to disenfranchised loss, you don't get that same support. You don't get that same network from your friends, from your family, from social media, from your even coworkers and your job and the government don't treat it the same. Uh, You're not going to get that same support at all. So you you might get met with strange looks um, in talking about your grief and people will always seem to offer like super unhealthy uh, unhelpful comments like oh it's it was just your cat you can get a new one uh, he was never good for you anyway divorce would have happened eventually like it always seems like the, the worst stuff comes out of people in situations some distant franchise grief because they just don't know how to interact with you when you're going through a loss like that and similar to what i had mentioned from my own story it, it can come from these external sources, of course, like friends and family, but it can also be that internal uh, monologue of your yourself. So like your own preconceived feelings about how something can get in your head, how you should be feeling about a loss. It, it can really turn you around when you're battling yourself in a situation like that. Disenfranchised grief can also cause some extreme or complicated grief responses since you're not getting that help and support you need to begin work th- working through it. So some of these symptoms that you should look out for are going to be intense sadness and pain surrounding the loss for extended lengths of time. So what extended lengths of time looks like, it's going to be like over six months, um, especially for, during those first like one to six months, you're definitely going to have like a lot of intense feelings. But after that six month mark is when you need to start looking out for it. Another symptom would be obsessing over the loss, difficulty focusing on things that are not connected to the loss, or completely actually reversing that. So uh, focusing too much on a person that has passed or the situation that's happening. So um, those are things that are, it's, it's tricky because it's either one too much of one or too much of the other. But it's one of those things when you see it, you'll know. If you see it in somebody else, you'll definitely notice um, like an obsession with the situation or complete like avoidance, like avoidance of people as well. So things that remind you of the loss, uh, friends of that person or places that you were at with that person, uh, objects that remind you of the loss. Overwhelming feelings of numbness and shock are another thing to look out for, as well as loss of one's meaning of their own life and utilization of drugs and alcohol to cope are some other keystone markers for this this really deep, deep, complicated grief. Which all just sounds like extreme depression for the most part, so <laughs> which a lot of us already have. It's hard to tell the difference sometimes. <laughs> I think that uh, sometimes loss ends up affecting us in such a way that it gets deep down into the very soul, and some people become the identity of that loss. Mm. And I think that the disenfranchised grief kind of plays a really big part in that from what you've been saying, because those people that are in that deep, deep depression after somebody's loss, Mm -hmm. they are the ones that have kind of taken it upon their soul to be the one to grieve that person or 
that thing or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Especially if it's an identity thing, Mm -hmm. like uh, that's, that's a huge uh, comment actually when it's something that's so ingrained in somebody's life or they, they make it their, their life's journey. Like that's, that's a toughie. I find people who believe really heavily in Jesus to have this disenfranchised grief mm-hmm. where they take on his death. Mm-hmm. That's like a, that's a thing from my religious past <laughs> <laughs> that is way deep down in the recesses of my mind. But I see that so heavily in little church ladies who Jesus dying is their grief to grieve and they mm-hmm. do it, you know? And I, I think yeah. that um, there's, there's a religious aspect to it too. I think that's a good point, actually. Yeah, that I didn't even think of it when I was drumming up all these different <laughs> uh, examples. I didn't even think about you didn't that. Think that's about crazy. Jesus? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> the little old ladies would be so disappointed. <laughs> They're already disappointed in me. Let's put more <laughs> on the chalkboard. True, true, true. <laughs> but these these types of interruptions, similar to depression, severe depression, th- these are expected, but when they go on for too long it's just really important to to check yourself or check somebody that's going through this type of grief so when it starts to get into like this realm where people are completely isolating from other people withdrawing from all social activities just this unending sadness and anxiety feeling guilty like there was something that they could have done to prevent the loss and just like inability to return to a normalized schedule of any like sleep work tasks just doing things your day to day that's those are huge huge red flags that somebody is experiencing a complicated grief especially if it's due to like disenfranchised grief if there's anybody in your life that goes through like a major change uh, whether that be a death whether that be moving whether that be a loss of any normal like normalcy to their their daily life that is just kind of world turning look out for these things in that person. The grief response to disenfranchised grief can be similar to the standard grieving, but can be exacerbated to the point of the complicated grief. It's also important to note that sometimes complicated grief can take time to show itself because a person might not feel that they have the right to grieve and then they stuff down their feelings. They squash them down for so long until it finally comes out like a decade later due to some type of trigger. So never feel like your window of opportunity has passed to grieve. It can take time for these things to come out, especially like after a thing happens, a lot of people try to be like stoic or I, I got to be the strong one for everybody else around me. And like, oh, I'm so focused on taking care of all the minutia of like, someone passes and I got to deal with the house and all their assets or, oh, well, mom's going into a nursing home. I got to liquidate all of her stuff so she can get on like Medicaid, all these types of things. You're so focused on like task oriented things that you're not even like thinking, allowing yourself to think about all these feelings. So yeah, it does, does sometimes take time for these things to happen. So what can you do about it? If, if you find yourself in the middle of a loss under disenfranchised grief umbrella, there is a few things that you can do to seek help. A lot of the following are going to feel like, yeah, well, duh, um, but I'm not really going to give you any earth-shattering solutions today that you probably couldn't have figured out yourself, but definitely important to list them off. You should absolutely feel valid in your grief. 
Stand by your feelings and don't let anybody tell you how you should or should not be reacting to the loss you're experiencing. If someone isn't supporting you, they don't have to be a part of your grief journey. It's not your job to make somebody else feel like they're helping you when they're not. You can even be frank about it. Sorry, this just isn't what I need right now. Continue to surround yourself with a support network of people who will be understanding. If your anti-LGBTQ parents aren't going to be supportive when you lose your same-gender partner, seek out friends and family that do. Reach out to the queer community for LGBTQ safe grief groups, as an example. If it's too hard to find resources on your own and you don't know where to start, asking your funeral home or nursing home, hospice facility, hospital, or social worker is great to start and get some recommendations for more keyed-in help groups or resources. Instead of spending hours online searching for a lot of these, people probably already have a direct number to call in these established groups. Have a ritual to communicate the loss too. Nothing witchy unless you're into that, which hey, <laughs> takes all kinds of flavors. <laughs> but something ceremonial. If you lose a friend and their family didn't have a funeral that you think embodied your loved one's wishes and lifestyle, you can always do something on your own. Have a bonfire, burn slips of paper with negative thoughts and feelings on them, have a candle lighting every evening for a week, and meditate on favorite memories, paint a painting, toss stones in the lake, plant a flower, go get a piercing or a tattoo. The options to memorialize a loss are as endless and unique as each person. It's your grief, and you gotta do what you gotta do for you. I was gonna talk about a little ritual that my family has adopted for- Do it, oh I love um, that. When people pass away. Uh, we did this when my grandma passed away. We went to a park in the neighborhood that she grew up in and we all lit lanterns and let them off, you know, like the paper lanterns that float. Mm. And we did that and we listened to her favorite music and uh, it was really lovely. And so that's something that also could go along with some type of ritual. Maybe you go and find yourself in a big field somewhere and you let go of some of that grief with a paper what did I call it lantern paper lantern yeah <laughs> that you like you can write on the outside of them too you know like I think some of us wrote by grandma or you know like a little note to her oh I love and that, that was something really beautiful and that's something that you can even just do by yourself yeah interactivity is such an important thing surrounding a loss like for you to be involved in it in a healthy way and that's really cool I like that a lot yeah it was nice it was really nice and we ate at her uh favorite Mexican restaurant it was beautiful <laughs> the, the, <laughs> this, <laughs> the second day taco shits these are for you grandma <laughs> absolutely and she was so so happy for us that's the way she would have wanted it oh goodness it's always important to keep the option on the table, too, that maybe it's time to consider therapy or counseling. If you've gotten to a point that self-work, talking to friends, and grief groups just aren't cutting it, it's not admitting defeat to go to a therapist. Often, having an unbiased third party can allow someone, especially in the throes of disenfranchised grief, to be able to speak their feelings candidly and without any judgments. There are many sites online that can help match you with a therapist that takes your insurance and deals with grief specifically. When, um, when I moved, actually, my old therapist recommended goodtherapy.org, just all spelled out just as it is, but there's tons more sites to pick from. So what is your big takeaway from today's episode, Brandy? that if you're sad it's okay but if you're sad for a really long time 
It's not okay. Go to to therapy. (laughs) Go to therapy. Yeah, I've learned that actually in the last year. I know people say this all the time. Therapy is wonderful. Therapy is amazing. And you listen to them and you say, yeah, you're probably right. And you don't go to therapy. Just do it. Just go. Just go to therapy. Even if you're not sad. Even if you're happy. go Go to fucking therapy. It's so fun. I have someone every week I can just like talk to and talk shit with. It's great. I love it. And she has to listen to me. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my takeaway. Go to therapy. I like it. Go to therapy. TM, trademark, go to therapy. And grieve your grief. It's okay to be sad. It's okay even if you're sad about a spider you had to kill. I've been there. <laughs> I've had some pretty bad PMS episodes that have turned into <laughs> me being so sad for a bunny that i saw on the side of the road i get it guys just let it happen if you want to cry do it it's It's your grief you can have it whenever you need it (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's my grief and i want it now (laughs) oh that's the title of this episode i'm calling it (laughs) i know i was like that's perfect (laughs) grief won't just go away if you don't think about it you have to let yourself feel what you have to feel when you're feeling it you're never going to get over it just get through it there's always going to be at least one person you can talk to to help when you need it most so never feel like you're alone in your grief deep breath you got this and that is all this week on mort mike Connect with us on our socials at Facebook and YouTube at Mort Mike Podcast. If you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about or burning questions you might have about death, shoot us an email at mortmikepodcast at gmail.com. A huge thank you to Joey, our dedicated studio gopher, Marson Music for our theme, Deputies of Death, and Macklin Legan for our custom icons and banners. And be sure to tune in the first Thursday of every month for some more casual discussions on death. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been Mort Mike. Bye. Bye.